0: to a new way of being, being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations.
1: (laughs) Guide yourself and the children in your life to be the radiant, Authentic beings that you truly are. Valeria Tellez interviews Lana Reed, the author of The Yoga Way to Radiance: How to Follow Your Inner Guidance and Nurture Children to Do the Same. Lana Reed is a leading expert on children and yoga, having worked with both since the mid-1970s. She is a parent Montessori educator, and a yoga professional recognized by Yoga Journal Magazine as one of the top five kundalini yoga teachers in the world. She has taught specialty yoga trainings, especially for women and senior citizens, and is a recognized leader in the international yoga community. Lana has authored several books, Fly Like a Butterfly, Yoga for Children, The Five-Fingered Family, Kundalini Yoga. Keep It Simple series, Kiss Guide to Yoga and Yoga for Women, and her latest book, The Yoga Way to Radiance, How to Follow Your Inner Guidance and Nurture Children to Do the Same. In 1997, she founded Radiant Child Yoga, one of the first programs that trains adults how to teach children yoga and work with raising children consciously. Through Radiant Child Yoga, Lana has trained over 15,000 teachers, parents, therapists, medical professionals, and child caregivers in the art of yoga for children, and has trainers for her program all over the world. She is considered the godmother of the children's yoga movement. She has produced several musical albums and videos as companions to her books. Her DVD, Yoga in Motion, was awarded Mom's Choice Award for 2008, as was her website, www.childrensyoga.com. She has also created Yoga Warrior Cards, which bring action figures into the world of yoga. Lana lives in Northern Virginia with her husband and several animal companions, and loves to visit her son and his partner in Boulder, Colorado. Meet Lana at childrensyoga.com. Here is the interview with Lana Reed.
0: In your own
2: words, who is Lana Reed? Oh, that is a big subject. (laughs) So, in my words, um, I would say that the the thing that occurs to me to say first is it's been my interest and desire to just be a whole human being. First of all, just be a human being like everyone else and to find that connection with everyone else. And at the same time, there's a part of me that's always curious and interested to grow and learn and be more of my so-called self what is the true self, with a capital S, Lana? Um, it's very hard to describe this idea Yeah. and the way that it feels to me is that through the ability to f- access my inner guidance, my inner self, my inner knowing, yeah. and I understand that those words may not mean much to some people. But for me, there is this inner knowing about that has integrity. In other words, it integrates Mm. what's happening with what my knowing is, with how other people are. And that integrity is a really important piece because the integrity allows me to know this is the truth for me right in this moment. Mm. And of course, each moment Changes. Right. so uh, that can also change. but I can feel like the abiding, I would say, an abiding truth or an abiding presence of myself with a capital s. And I may deviate from that. I may forget it, but it's abiding. and i I have found ways, especially in the past twenty years, but really since in the past almost fifty years, to find my way back to that's like the North Star, the compass. And
0: some people, they call that the center or finding balance and harmony. Would you say the same thing? That's going back to center?
2: Yeah, I could say it that way. It feels a little more mm-hmm. dynamic to me than that. Right. That's why it feels a little bit like I'm following a thread of guidance or a Something, it feels a little different to me, but I think especially when I'm teaching, I often use centering and grounding because that has to happen first.
0: Talk to me for a moment about what's the real meaning of yoga and how did you come across it?
2: Okay, well, how I came across it is is has been... The way that I viewed it, uh, always. And um, and so in 1972, a long, long time ago, I learned yoga as part of college, my my college education, and and I was very excited about taking that class because I had been reading spiritual books like the Autobiography of a Yogi, and I was in my early 20s at that time, and I felt a strong calling to understand what is God? What is life? How do we fit? What, what is this oneness that it keeps being talked about? And so the yoga brought me into a, an experiential space of all those questions I had and all those things I wanted to know. So the yoga for me was a very mind-body-spirit practice. And this was the 70s. And then I got into kundalini yoga, which is a very dynamic, powerful, fast-acting type of yoga that really quickly you feel transformed. So that's the 70s and the 80s. But then what happened, at least from my perspective, is in the 90s, uh, yoga became popular. And my experience is, and I don't mean this in any kind of a derogatory way, but my, my experience is that when something reaches the general public, it is watered down so that it suits them, so that they can relate to it. Right. And I feel that's what has happened to yoga. But you can still find true yoga that really is does embody the mind-body-spirit practice.
0: Going back to what you said about that, searching for not for meaning but for deeper understanding of what life is and the one is what have you found lana as of today
2: another huge question valeria <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> i would say i have found that by really just focusing on my inner self and my connection and alignment with this kind of personality self, ego self, who, who exists in the world, aligned with that kind of abiding truth or abiding presence, that that is the most important thing I can be doing and everything else flows from there. So when I do that, I know where to go. I know what to say. I know how to function in the world. I know what's the next step for me. When I don't do that, then I'm kind of floundering and I'm complaining and I'm those kinds of things. So then what I've noticed is, especially in the past 20 years, is I don't want to put myself down if I'm not in that space. I want to befriend myself no matter what. And the cool thing is when you befriend yourself you get back to that abiding inner space again. It's only when you're going like, if I go like, oh boy, I really spent all morning complaining, mm-hmm. and then I down on myself for complaining. Now I have a Now I can't get find that place. But if I go like, okay, so I spent the morning complaining, I'm still learning, just growing and learning, just like everyone else. So it's okay. I, I think one of the most powerful mantras is it's okay. Right.
0: In your book, you have this um I think it relates to what you're saying about going back to the inner truth, to what we know to be true. It's a knowing that can only be trusted from what I see. It's really challenging to explain. But I love what you said in your book. There's a passage where you say, there is only one relationship to attend to. The one between myself with the small S and myself with capital S. So that makes sense. It makes so much sense to me. Because everything else is perception, isn't it? We cannot know about what's happening within. Another question I have for you is about your name. Talk to me about your former name, if I can pronounce it correctly. Shakta not Shakta (laughs) Shakta Kralza. Yeah. How did you return? Why did you choose to return to Lana
2: Reed? Well, I had a birth name, which I had for the first 26 years of my life. And then when I got in the Kundalini path, which is a very, it's not the same thing as just taking yoga classes. It's really is a spiritual path or what we also could call a Dharma. Dharma, that word means like path, but it means like your spiritual path. When I got on that spiritual path, it was very common to get a spiritual name from the teacher, the spiritual teacher. And I did that. And then it was very much encouraged in the ashram community. Ashram is living in a spiritual community. And I did that for many years. It's encouraged in the spiritual community to make that your legal name. So that shows your commitment. So I did do that as well. So I changed from my birth name to my spiritual name, Shakta Kar Khalsa, which is from India. The name Shakta means creative energy or creative power. And Khalsa is the highest commitment to the Sikh way of life. So that was my way of life for about 30 years. I wore a white turban, I wore white clothing. It was, you know what it was like a little bit like being a nun with, you know, a habit, except you were in the world, you worked in the world, you taught yoga, you got married, you had children if, if that was your path. Um, So it wasn't exactly like living in a monastery, but it had some elements that were similar, had a particular identity with it. Right. So then in the um, early part of this new millennium, I started changing and growing. And I found that that identity no longer completely represented me. It's sort of like I included it. Yeah and all the good that came from it which was tremendous yeah. tremendous growth you can imagine but that didn't completely represent me and at that point i um, i no longer wore the turban and i wore regular clothing and i kept the name for a while because it's a really big hassle to change your name legally right. <laughs> it is wow. i finally yeah. got to the point where i could no longer keep the name as well because i wasn't I didn't identify uh, with being on that particular Dharma Uh, like that was, Fine and good, but it wasn't who I was now. So I did go through this process and I took my, instead of taking my birth name, which I also didn't completely relate to, what I did was I took my maternal grandmother's last name because my maternal grandmother, whose, whose name had been Reed, she's the only person in my whole childhood who really, really understood me. And I could go to her and I could feel like completely accepted by her. Nice. And so I took her name her last name. And then my sister asked me if I would keep my birth name because she calls me that. So my birth name was April. And I put that in the middle. (laughs) Then I just, uh, I, I mean, this, I have no explanation for the name Lana, except that I liked it. I liked the way it sounded and felt. And then when I I decided I was going to use that name. I, also, I liked that it was short and easy. Right. And um, I looked it up, and in Hawaiian, it, it's a word to describe the the ocean when the ocean is very still. Mm-hmm. And so I also really like that meaning. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I thought, okay, this is what I'm going to do. So this, I, the way I look at it really, Valeria, <laughs> is yeah. like one-third of my life was uh-huh. my birth name. One-third of my life was my spiritual name. One-third of my life is now... <laughs> This name, just this is sort of like coming into stages. Each one for me had different names, which I think is kind of odd, but it's just the way things went for me.
0: That's interesting about the Lana, the name when I heard too, and
2: there's something very calming about it. I really like that name. So all of my books, though, are written under Shakta Khalsa. That's okay too. It's sort of like I'm, I'm embracing all of it. That's what. Again, life is all about, isn't it? Um,
0: embracing everything, not just parts of life, right? I have a question for you about 2020, Lana. It has been this very interesting time, challenges and changes. speaking of cycles. And for you, what have changed? What insights have you gained? Another question I have is, this is a topic in your book about seeing learning from challenges and seeing challenges as gifts, how can we learn to do that okay
2: so 2020 and i would probably have to start with the pandemic which was yeah 2020 and then coming now into 2021 it forced me and my work to stop traveling so much because i with the, the my program radiant child yoga i have spent the past 20 years traveling sometimes up to two cities every month wow. and um, I never thought people would say why don't you offer things online and I was always like I wasn't wouldn't even entertain that idea yeah. I would be like how could we how could we give this experiential program online that just won't work but if you know 2020 forced us to do that and I found out I love it yeah. I actually love it I love teaching online and we found creative ways to still make it experiential with partners and things like that, which you wouldn't think you could do online. So the work has been actually expanded on 2020, since 2020, and into this new year. And I'm very grateful that we found, when I say we, I mean myself and there's like 14 trainers for my program and we work together like a team. And so um, we found a way to make it work and we're enjoying it. We have a 200 hour teacher training program that you get to learn um, how to teach yoga and mindfulness from babies through elderly people. Wow. So it's it's the whole family. And I'm very excited about that. And we've been doing that now for 10 years. But this is great that we but when we do it online, people can come in from Australia and you know everywhere, which is wonderful. So I think 2020 was good for that for me. It was also good for disciplining myself to be okay with just being in my own little tiny family, my husband, our pets, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> our family. Yeah. And I, yeah. um, I think it's made us closer, uh, my husband and I closer. There's a question that I, I ask all my guests, and I'll probably ask you too,
0: at the end about if you knew you would die soon, would you make any change or do anything differently? And most people say, I would spend more time with my family with my
2: loved ones. Yeah. I, I would say the same. And I would also appreciate everything and find joy. I One of the things that started happening to me was I saw myself like on my deathbed at some point about 20 years ago. And I had this regret and the regret felt like, why wasn't I happier? Why did I, you know, sweat the small stuff? Right. And I started making gradual changes. And that was about 20 years ago, 20, 22 years ago. I started making gradual changes with the end in sight. You know, I'm 70 now. And with the end in sight, looking back and saying, like, I don't want to have that regret. I want to be happy now. I want to appreciate.
0: It's a practice to me. It's been a practice starting with the end, visualizing the end. That is such a powerful practice, isn't it? It's powerful. How do we learn to see challenges as gifts, Lennon? What is the, yeah, the best way to do that, if there is a way?
2: Well, um, I, there's a little saying that I got from a, one of the um, audio things i like to listen to, and it is, you can use everything to your benefit. Mm-hmm. And, when, and that's been a very good little tiny sentence for me, and teaching... And um, if something happens, sometimes I'll still, let's say, my anger will pop up right in the moment. And then I'll have a chance to notice that. And when I notice it, I can go back for a moment to more my inner, authentic, true self and say, oh that's interesting. Why did that happen? How, how can I work with that? Um, what, what was the reason for that was I was just feeling insecure. And so I, I, I felt defensive and I, all this anger came out. Is that what happened? And then I'll kind of mull over it a little bit. So little by little, I feel like I'm learning to meet, to see the gift in challenges. Even if I can't find them right in the heat of the moment, I can still find them pretty quickly afterwards.
0: So I have a few more warm-up questions for you, Lena. Let me see. I'll ask you. I'll ask you this one. This is a fun one. What do you love most about being in a human body?
2: Mm, gosh. I, the first thing that popped in my head is that I love to dance. And I am a very rhythmic person. And I can almost feel and hear rhythms in my mind. And I don't even sometimes have to have music, but I love music and I love to dance. And I love the way my body can feel the music and express it. So that was the first thing that popped in my mind.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And that's a lot of fun, isn't it? Boy, yeah, dancing for some reason. It might be because it has to do with movement. So life is movement. We even say that poetically, philosophically, life is a dance, right?
2: And I, I think what I, beyond that, what I like being about a, in a human body is to feel the beautiful, um, what's the word I want? Special quality that each and every human has and interacting with them. It's like we complement each other. If, I, if I'm in a space where I can see that, uh, that's so uplifting to me. I, I love that.
0: That sounds like coming from that place the authentic self, the true self. Because it seems like that place can only navigate, can only see with love. There's something to do with love, right, Lennon? There, it does. There. It's always there, that unconditional love. Yes. Hmm. Yes, I have to breathe deeper about it because it's so true. And then we wish that everyone could access that
2: and see how beautiful it is. Come from that. I do find I do find that if I'm in that place, a lot of times it rubs off on on the the person I'm with, and but I also respect that each person makes their own choices for how they want to feel. They don't have to catch it from me. I'm learning to be, you know, not so insistent. um, Yeah, tell me about about it. (laughs) And and learn to accept people where they're at. I I sometimes have a lot of challenge with that. I find. Two more questions. What is your understanding of
0: healing and how it works?
2: Healing. I refer back to inner self for healing. And I also have found that um, a healing touch will make a big difference. For example, many, many times I bumped into something and I knew that I would probably have a big bruise there, (laughs) but I just would rub that spot and send it like loving and healing energy and say it's okay. And a lot of times it wouldn't have a bruise then. Uh So I understand that healing is something much more subtle than what we usually think it is.
0: What comes to mind is uh, energy work. I heard about Reiki. I think I have done before, too, many years And also, ago.
2: I teach Qigong. And in oh. Qigong, we, we um, build energy in the body and especially in the hands. So there's a lot of healing that goes on in Qigong.
0: And my last warm-up question is about freedom. What is the meaning of freedom to you? What is to be free?
2: Freedom to me is the inner knowing that I can choose and that I do choose at every moment, and that I can look at what I've chosen with love and acceptance, even if I decide to choose something that feels better. Choice. Wow, that's a uh, oh. choice is freedom. The understanding that we all choose. For some people, when I when I say that, some people feel guilty, like, oh, I don't like my choice. Oh, I don't want to, I'm blaming myself for my choice. But you can look at life that way, sure, but you don't have to. You can say, oh, I have the freedom to choose. What am I choosing right now? Is it something that feels good or is it something that doesn't? If it doesn't, well, okay, I can accept that. What? Why, why have I chosen that? Nice. It's not psychoanalyzing. It's more like... Oh, that's just being curious, Mm. self-discovery, like self-discovery for me is freedom. Beautifully said. Yeah. Thank you for your wisdom. So beautiful.
0: So you wrote the book, The Yoga Way to Radiance, How to Follow Your Inner Guidance and Nurture Children to Do the Same. Two initial questions. How did you become a writer and what was the main inspiration and intention of writing your book?
2: Okay. I had written five books in five years from 1997 until, uh, 2002. My publisher, Dorling Kindersley, is a a big publisher that is known for a lot of beautiful graphics um, in their books. And they asked me to write some of these books and some of them I propose. And they were all yoga books. They were all instructional yoga books. One is Kundalini Yoga. One is Keep It Simple Series Guide to Yoga. That one is like a dummy's book on yoga. I also wrote Yoga for Women, and I wrote a children's book called Fly Like a Butterfly. And then I wrote a children's picture book called The Five-Fingered Family. So I wrote those five books in five years. So it was like an intensive time period for writing. And I always have been a, a writer. I write a lot of I do a lot of journaling. I've always write. I write poetry. I have a poetry website. So I've always been able to express through writing. And it was always been like part part of my own healing. You know, is like my own healing method was writing. Um Sometimes my higher self would just talk to me through writing, and and it would. It would I would have insights by the end of the journaling because my higher self or my true self or whatever would. Would tell me, it would just explain it right <laughs> there in writing yeah. for me, you know, so I've always been a writer and I wrote those five books. Then I really focused on on growing Radiant Child Yoga, which is a training program for children, all the way babies through teenagers on um, yoga and mindfulness. So we train adults how to do this with children. That's what we do in Radiant Child. I focused on that for a long time and I always knew in the back of my mind I wanted to write a book of all the experiences and all of the um, knowledge that has come out of Radiant Child Yoga. And I knew it wasn't going to be a, the same as my other books. It wouldn't be like an instructional book. It would be more like a feeling book. You know what I mean? Like you read yeah. it and you feel things, yeah. not just like do this pose, do this pose, do this pose. I, I knew it was going to be a feeling mm-hmm. book with some yeah. with some yoga in it and meditation in it. But, but that would be sort of like... On the side and i'm so pleased with the way this book came out uh the yoga way to radiance and i felt satisfied when it was done I, I wrote it i think in 2015 um i was satisfied that it expressed my journey with children and yoga and also the journey of many people that i've taught uh, and the profound changes that had happened in their relationship to themselves and to children. So I was very, very pleased with it and satisfied with it. Yeah, and
0: it's a beautiful book. That's interesting, you said you related self-discovery to freedom, connecting them. Yes. That's what I felt reading your book too. Like, wow, this is like a self-discovery manual. You just go through (laughs) it and then very reflective.
2: I think that's a really perfect description of it. I love that. Thank you,
0: Lana. That's a gift to all of us. We need more of these works out there and access them. Do you find it to be different or easier to teach yoga to children than to adults?
2: Well, no, <laughs> I don't find it easier. Um, truthfully, it's easier to teach adults in the sense that you don't have to think about class management yeah.
0: with right, adults.
2: Right. You know what I mean? You're <laughs> just true. teaching an adult yoga yeah. class. And, you don't expect that somebody's going to get up and run around the room, right? <laughs> yes, <laughs> so true. <laughs> but I'll tell Jeez. you, but the trade off is teaching children is so heartful, it's so joyful and enlightening to me as the teacher. And that's what a lot of other teachers have said. So I always say if I want to relax, I'm going to teach adult yoga. If if I want to have some joyful, uplifting, amazing experience, I will teach children's yoga. But in our program, we do teach how do you manage the class? How how do you keep it together so the kids stay focused and and they're breathing and they're doing the yoga along with you?
0: (laughs) Talk to me for a moment about non-attachment and the meaning of that. And if there is such a thing as healthy attachment.
2: Okay. I don't think in terms of non-attachment or healthy attachment. So I will have to reconstruct that in my own way of thinking. Non-attachment to me means I am willing to look at my part in anything that has just happened. And I'm willing to really explore that and discover with that what was my part in that, even if it was just vibrational. For example... I'm here in my, my son's house. If I come into the room and he's very, very quiet and suddenly I'm blurting out, hey, how about blah, 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 and he doesn't respond really nicely to me, I could either think like he... um What's wrong with him? Or I could think, oh, I, I see that he was in a certain space and I was ignoring that and I was just coming in with my own energy and it wasn't a match. And so to me, that would be a like non-attachment. I would be seeing what it was, you know, kind of not exactly self-analysis, but more like going into myself, what what, what was my part in this?
0: Right.
2: Yeah. So that's to me like non-attachment and healthy attachment. Healthy attachment is like with our children is to, um, for example, our children is to really express our love and nurturing energy toward them to just check in with them, see how they're doing Notice if I'm, for example, I have a son and when he was younger, notice if I'm just constantly telling him things or am I listening to him? Like to me, that would be like my healthy attachment. Am I, have I slowed down enough to really listen to him and hear his point of view? Or am I just bombarding him with what I think he should do? That's the question I often ask mothers about teaching their
0: children to, letting them be themselves, guiding, but not trying to create their lives and yes. kind of map it up for them. That's the challenge, isn't it,
2: Lena? How did you do it? Oh, well, I had lots of failures that I learned from. I can't imagine. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes right. I didn't learn from them, they still pop up. Right. <laughs> but that's where self-befriending um, self the self is so important because you can't grow or or change if you can't just allow yourself to be as you are and accept that in a loving way then that that child self who didn't ever get heard gets some gets some self-nurturing and then it can relax and then then you can move more into the new space so whatever is happening even if if it's self-criticism, if I can say, oh, I, there, I'm criticizing myself again, What what is that all about? Or can I just let that go for now? Or can I say, um, it's okay, I'm, I'm used to criticizing myself. This is just an old habit coming up. But it doesn't necessarily mean who I really am. If I can befriend myself then things can change because then I'm, uh, that's the first thing. I mean, the first thing is self-love, self-nurturing, self-care. And my second favorite topic
0: might be intuition. You have that throughout the book, of course. But before that, Lena, talk to me about meditation and mindfulness. Is there a difference between
2: them? And can we be active while meditating? All right, so there are some types of meditation that I put in the bracket in my consciousness as meditation. Yeah. And there's other things that I put in a certain mental bracket as mindfulness. So if it's meditation, oftentimes it seems to me that there's a focus on something. For example, there's a focus on the breath, breathing in, breathing out. There's a focus on eye gaze at the candle. Or there's a focus on um, using a mantra, using a sound and listening to a beautiful sound or singing along with it. So those things I kind of put in a category of meditation. But at the same time, you have to apply mindfulness to them in order to stay present with them. So there is kind of a crossover there. For example, if I'm gazing at the candle and then my mind starts wandering and I'm not really even looking at the candle, then mindfulness helps me come back to the gaze again. You know, so I think... They work together. And then when I'm, I'm feeling, uh, mindfulness often to me is just being present to whatever is there. It's not so focused on something like the breath or whatever. But everybody has different ways of defining this. But for me, mindfulness is present in the presence to now. This is another topic that is so powerful practice,
0: really. It has become sort of... Um, Common saying, like so many people have saying, Eckhart Tolle, he kind of made it very commercial. But I love, love the idea that you speak in your book about mindfully checking in with ourselves each moment. Mm-hmm. You bring it down to the very simple way of doing just that, being in the moment, by checking with ourselves. How am I now? How am I feeling? I love that that idea, Lena.
2: And I'll tell you, children are our best mindfulness teachers, (laughs) because especially the young ones. They are present to now. They are. And so we can learn from them. Yeah.
0: And also animals. Would you say that too, Lennon? Oh, for sure. Yeah, they're so present. Animals
2: and children share that. Mm -hmm.
0: And so intuition. Talk to me for a moment about that. What is intuition to you and how do we learn to
2: recognize that voice within ourselves? Intuition feels like a flow of energy toward something in, within me. It feels like an active verb, almost like a movement of energy, and that began to occur to me after very deep present moment awareness practice that I do, uh, which is actually on a CD where you can hear my voice you know, bring you into that space. It's just called present moment awareness. So I made an album for that as well. So others could do it as well. And because of that, I noticed that um, if I'm in a space of allowing myself to be as I am, out of that allowing arises an idea or an intention or a sense of action. And that's my intuition saying, okay, go make a cup of tea. Hmm. OK, go call your friend so and so. OK, uh, I'll just kind of feel myself or or see myself doing something, right. you know, and or I'll just say this would be a really good time to pick up that Eckhart Tolle book, for example, right. <laughs> <laughs> and just open it up somewhere like it's either a, a voice or it's an image or just a feeling that comes over me. And I feel like that's my intuition.
0: Yeah, that's how I experience that too. It kind of is directive. It thoughts they are guiding us to do something that's needed in a way. And I love the, the idea that intuition is guiding us to do something that's good for ourselves and others at the same time.
2: Yes, I, I, I enjoy that. And so sometimes I might say... Oh, I, um, I'm i going to call up blah, blah, blah or something. But then I'll check in with myself. And I know it wasn't quite my intuition. I'll know it was like my insecure self was wanting to get something from that person. Right. And then right. I'll just check in again. Is that really... Going to be the best thing to do right now, and sometimes it still is because sometimes we need someone to talk to, right? Yeah. But um, so there's very subtle levels of all this, and I think by learning to be present through meditation or through uh, mindfulness or just uh, being present to ourselves, we start to f- we start to hear and feel what is our true self. When it comes to following
0: our intuition, really listening to that, would you say it's a matter of trust? Uh, practice or surrender?
2: Practice. Practice, Raima. Mm-hmm. For me, I would say practice. And you see, with the practice comes trust. Mm-hmm. And let's say the word surrender. Uh, let me find out how that fits for me. It's not a word I use, but let me let me try and see where that is. Surrender in the sense that I'm okay with where I am right now. Yes, I can. I can call that surrender.
0: That also brings us back to that idea of being accepting what is, just the yes, way it accepting is. Accepting what is. That really sounds like surrender.
2: Yeah. Yes, yes. It's sort of like if, if now is all there is, right? Then now is then then surrendering or accepting now is it's almost like a no brainer because there is yeah. only now. So, <laughs> <Yes>. right? <laughs> <laughs> True. Yeah,
0: it's a no brainer. Um, no mind. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> no thinking logically.
1: <laughs> yes.
0: Yeah. Because if, when you go to the mind, logical mind will never understand that that there's just now, no past, no future. Yeah. The logical mind cannot r- understand that. Yes. That's our left brain, but our right brain is always in now. <laughs> yes, right. Oh, I love that. And I love the chapter in your book that you talk about the heart. That's chapter four, into the high heart. Yeah. So explain to me what it means, the high heart. What is it?
2: It's something that um, I just gave a name to because um, a lot of times we want to be in our heart with someone or with, you know, we we're coming from the heart. And sometimes it's more our human self, emotional heart. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but there is another heart there that I have also discovered, which is I can have empathy for self and others. And at the same time, I can be like in my high heart, it sees and vibrationally hugs whatever's happening. And it kind of can feel and see the the truth of it or the the validity of it or honor it or feel the wisdom of that thing that maybe doesn't seem so great. But the high heart can feel the importance of it. Oh, wow, yeah. You know, the importance of what whatever it is that the emotional heart is going through. So it's kind of like that. I just developed that concept of high heart because that's how it felt to me. It actually feels like it's an not right in the center of the chest, but a little bit higher toward the um, clavicle bones in the, in the, uh, in the uh, chest.
0: I love the practice you have there too, the waves of appreciation. That's a beautiful practice. Uh-huh. I would love for you to talk to me for a moment about uh, parenting karma. I think we all have an idea of what karma is, but when it comes to parenting karma, what would that be?
2: I know there's a derogatory or negative view on the word karma, meaning like you get what you put out and and it seems like we use it as a punishing word, but I feel like it is really just neutral. And um, the way I would think of parenting karma is if I am a person, let's say, who has anger issues. Probably going to have a child who helps bring out those anger issues, so that I can work that on them. If I see it that way, but I don't. But all of it depends on my point of view. If I'm going to say, "Oh man, that that my kid really triggers me," um, then I could go a step further and say, "Well, well, what's that all about? Could I just have a little self-discovery here? Oh yeah, I see what's happening. Well, what if?" What if this our souls had a? Let's, I'm just make this up, but what if our souls had an agreement? Like, mm-hmm. okay, I'm going to trigger your anger things, and you're going to help okay. me deal with anger, and I'm going to help you deal with anger. Oh, okay, <laughs> yes. Here we go. you know, yeah,
0: <laughs> that's kind of fun in the way I mean that. If we remove the suffering, of course, yeah. And speaking of suffering. And do you think we, we really choose to be here and go through all these challenges
2: in order to learn, return to self or to love? Yes, I do. I think I, I feel like we don't, it's not a punishment, it's self-discovery. So since it's self-discovery, we just get to be more of who we truly are. And I, I think that we choose on some level, not on a conscious level usually, but we, things are orchestrated by on a soul level or whatever, as ways for us to learn what we said we wanted to learn, what our soul wanted to grow and learn. So, yes, I do th- think that makes logical sense to me in the way that uh, things are organized in life and the universe. So uh, I don't see it as a punishment. I think I see it as a self-discovery.
0: I often ask the question about belief systems: is that a belief, something that we believe in, or something that's a knowing? For me, it's almost a knowing, but it's hard to uh, to say that for sure, Mylena. We know, but at the same time, it's not something that can be expressed with the voice, with the mind, the logical mind. I agree.
2: Yeah,
0: and I remember um, speaking. In such a way to somebody who had cancer, I think. And I said, you know, you signed up for that in a different, um, unconsciously. And then she was so angry, upset at me. So yeah. I think I never repeated that again. <laughs> I just stopped. Yeah, I,
2: I would never try. I mean, I think that that's where the problem comes in when we try to analyze uh, someone else. I think we can do really well when we do it for ourselves. And we can learn and grow and then let other people learn and grow as they learn and grow
0: that's a beautiful thing it is trust isn't it we are trusting the other to find his or her way I know so we're almost at the end I do have a few more questions for you the ending questions would you like to add anything or read a passage in your book
2: I did want to, I thought of something I wanted to say in this um, one period. Remember how we were talking about children being present? Yeah. Um, so I, I'll have a brief little story about that that's yes. in the book. Yeah. I was teaching in Austin, Texas, and uh, there was a woman who contacted me ahead of time and she said, I can't come to your training, but I have a little son who's almost three and I think he's on the autism spectrum and I would like you to see him. So what could I meet you in your hotel room? And I said, yes. So, so after the course was over, she came and I had one of those hotel rooms that has a little kitchenette in it. And he, her son came into the room. He did not look at me at all. He went straight, made a beeline for the air conditioner and played with the buttons. The mother was so desperately wanting him to do yoga with us. So we sat down. We did yoga. We were putting our feet together and we're fly like a butterfly in the sky, which is some of the songs we have with the yoga and Radiant Child. She was so desperately wanting him to be so-called normal, right? Yeah. And he just wanted to play with that air conditioner. And then um he went over to then we she, the mother was talking to me, and she would, I could feel her angst and all, but I could also feel like, you know, it was like, this is the child you have. be enjoy him. be with him, right? And um I, I didn't I said it in a nice way to her <laughs> Then her son was, pulling in and out the silverware drawer and he had his head down. He was looking, looking, looking at something. And I thought, what is he looking at? I had curiosity Mm -hmm. and I went over and I stood beside him and I put my head where his head was and I saw this little wheel was turning on a track. And this is what I mean about being in the moment. That child who never looked at anyone, who never said a word, who never gave eye contact, the very second I saw what he was seeing. He turned to me and he, his eyes were like, yes, you see that? Mm, right. And we had this connection. Wow. And he was so in the moment that that moment happened right as soon as the moment I saw what he saw. When I saw that thing moving, he looked at me like, yes, you see that now? And then he just went back to his little world. And I tried to explain this to his mom. And she wasn't getting it. But what I just said to her was, if you go into his world, he will be able to start coming out into your world. But don't do it for that reason. Just do it because you want to be in his world and have curiosity with what he's enjoying. And I really hope and pray that she did do that. It's a
0: very important lesson message for all of us, isn't it? To do that every day with people around us. Because we try to, as we said earlier... Try to pass on what we know without that curiosity of trying to see what they see. It's almost a world within a world. We're all different. How beautiful. Yes, I love that. It comes from that place, from the heart.
2: Well, thank you so much for what you do because you're bringing all of this wonderful wisdom and heartful energy to so many people.
0: I love it. It's like (laughs) fun to me. Mm -hmm. So I have a few more questions for you. Let me see. I'll ask you. Yeah, I think I already asked the one about that I ask everyone about if you would die soon, would you change anything? And you said no. Yeah.
2: No, I I, I think I would only change the the amount of time I felt appreciative of life and joy in life. I would want to increase that. (laughs) Yes, right. Don't we all? But yeah,
0: dying or losing the body without regret, that's a beautiful thing. Speaking of death, losing the body... Is that something that you're now comfortable with in a way or it's something to know, to get to know? When it, I
2: know, arrives? think that by the time it happens, I will be comfortable, but because I have so much curiosity about things that I can access that part of myself pretty easily, I may feel some fear too, and I, I hope that I would be able to accept that part of myself as well. And the last question
0: is, what are three things about life you know for sure as of this moment?
2: What do I know about life that I know for sure at this moment? That life is in this moment. That life is always in this moment. Yeah. And so it matters only ever what I do in this moment. So it's like one in
0: three. Right, Lena? Anyway, the, the three things is just one. Everything is this moment. I agree. I agree. Thank you so much again. And before we say goodbye, where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects?
2: Oh, well, thank you. Um, Childrensyoga.com. Of course, it doesn't have any apostrophe, just childrensyoga.com. That's where you find everything about Radiant Child Yoga and Family Yoga. And then my Qigong classes are also listed there. I teach everything online. I make everything very inexpensive because I just want to share the joy. And I have a new website coming up very soon called Poetry Movement. It will have all my poetry as well as uh, uh, free Qigong videos. And uh, so I think that that's that's mainly it for me. Do I have the poetry website link? I'll I'll send it to you because it's not actually up yet, but it will be in the next month. But I'll send it to you. Wonderful. So I have those links. Thank you so much again, and we'll talk soon. Thank you, Valeria.
0: Thank you, Elena. Bye for now.
2: Bye-bye.
1: Thank you for listening. To learn more about Lana Reed and her work, please visit children'syoga.com.
0: To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening, and bye for now.